Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here today. We have uh, several who are visiting with us, and we're delighted that you're here to be a part of our assembly and pray that you will be uh, blessed by being here. I wanted to start off by saying thank you to all of you who uh, volunteered and took part in the uh, Glen Allen Day. Uh, we had our display there, and um, in spite of the fact that it started raining and uh, we had to close up about an hour and a half early, we were still able to distribute a lot of Bibles in various languages and a lot of copies of the Good News from God book and just letting people know of our presence in the community. And uh, we really appreciate uh, everyone's participation in that. I want to mention also that this evening at 6, uh, we'll be beginning a new study on the book of Deuteronomy and talking about the God of second chances. So I uh, hope you can be here this evening at 6 for that. And also, uh, Wednesday evenings, we started this past Wednesday uh, at 7 uh, with our study of Mormonism 101. And uh, if you were not here for that, I hope you can uh, join us this week and for the, uh, the coming weeks as we uh, continue thinking about that and learning about that together. Uh, this morning, we are thinking for a few minutes here about the conversion of this man. He's usually, as Charlie said, called the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the Ethiopian, when he was approached by Philip, uh, was asked a very simple question but a very important one. Do you understand what you are reading? The question is a lot more important than we might think. Do you understand what you're reading? Because what is the good of the reading if we don't understand? And the man gave a very honest answer. He said, how can I unless somebody helps me? Now we have to understand that this man uh, did not know anything about Jesus. He'd not heard about his life or his death or his rising from the dead. And so as he was reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, he didn't know who this was about. The New Testament, as we know it, had not been written yet. And so he just had no way of knowing. And so his response was, how can I understand unless somebody helps me? He needed some guidance to understand Scripture. In verse 15 says that Philip used this question, do you understand what you're reading? And then the text of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 as an opportunity to tell this man about Jesus. And as a result, he was convicted about what he heard. He was baptized into Christ. He became a follower of Jesus and he went on his way rejoicing. Well, there's a lot of things of importance about this episode. But one of the things that's important about it is what it says to us about Scripture because it suggests to us that Scripture is intended to be understood and that it can be understood. I don't know about you, but I grew up with the idea that uh, the Bible was kind of a mysterious book and that if anybody could understand it, it was just a select few specialists somewhere, and I wasn't one of them. That's all I knew. Uh, and so it's important to understand that the Bible is meant to be understood and it can be understood. Now, underlying that is the assumption that all of Scripture has an objective meaning. Let me explain what I mean by that. It has an objective meaning. There's an intention in the mind of the author to say something specific and we are expected to be able to understand that, what the author intended to say, and recognize what he intended to say. 
And in the case of the Bible, since we believe that the Bible is inspired by God, as, as Paul says, it was breathed out by God, then the ultimate author is none other than God himself. And so God had a specific meaning in mind. God had something he wanted to say to us. And that underlies the idea that the Bible is intended to be understood and that it can be understood. Now, let me give you just a couple of examples from the Bible itself that indicate that the writers believe they were supposed to be understood. One of them you heard read at the beginning of the service this morning when Jesus tells that parable about the wise and the foolish builders. And we know the story well, but sometimes we don't really think about what the story was about. It's not just about a, a wise man and a foolish man, and one who built on a foundation and one who didn't. It's about people who do and do not follow the words of Jesus. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Now, if we are to do the words of Jesus, what does that imply? It implies that we can understand them. How can we do them if we cannot understand them? You get the same impression from the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 20, when James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How can you do what the word's telling you unless you understand what the word is saying? There's an intended meaning, and until we understand that intended meaning and can put it into practice, we cannot do what the Word says. Here's another one, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets through the Spirit. Now look carefully at what Paul says there. He says, when you read this, when you read this letter, when you read Ephesians, he says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. When we read Ephesians, we are supposed to understand what Paul understood about Jesus. That doesn't mean everything that Paul understood, but that we are at least be able to get some insight into what Paul understood. He said, when you read this, you can perceive my insight. Now, that means that we are supposed to be able to understand something of what Paul understood. So there are a lot of other examples like that that we could give, but the Bible keeps telling us that it assumes, the writers assume, that we're going to understand them. And that because we're going to understand them, then we can do what Scripture teaches us to do. Now, one of the problems that we have in understanding the Bible sometimes is the way that we approach it. Sometimes our Bible study methods uh, show that we don't really think of Scripture as having an objective meaning that we can understand. I read a story recently about two friends who had uh, gone to school together, but they hadn't seen one another in quite a while, and they, they bumped into each other on the street one day, and one of them was obviously doing very well financially. Uh, he was driving a really nice car, and he had on expensive clothing and a lot of jewelry and all this kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, he'd never done much in school, and so the other guy was a little surprised. And he asked him, he said, you, you look like you're really doing well. He said, how, how did that come about? And he said, oh, when I started following the Bible. And he said, when you started following the Bible, what, what about following the Bible caused you to become so well off. And he said, well, I, I just learned that I would open the Bible and I'd put my finger down and whatever the Bible said, that's what I do. 
And he said, I don't understand. What do you mean? He said, well, I did that one day, and I, I just opened the Bible, had my eyes closed, opened the Bible, stuck my finger down. And when I opened it up, said there was the story of the Good Samaritan, and it said that the Samaritan, when he came along to the man who had been wounded, poured on oil and wine. He said, so I invested in oil and, and in wine, and, and oil and wine just went through the roof, and he said, I, I made a fortune. And the guy said, well, that's fascinating. And he said, yeah. He said, but that's not all. He said, I was reading about the birth of Jesus. And he said, I, I did the same thing. I just opened the Bible, closed my eyes, put the finger down. And it says that the wise men brought to Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh. So he said, I invested in gold. And he said, gold went right through the roof. He said, you ought to try it. He said, the Bible will not steer you wrong. And, and so the guy couldn't wait to get home, and he, he searched and searched and found his Bible. And you got that, didn't you? He set his Bible down on the table, closed his eyes, opened up the Bible, stuck his finger down, slowly opened his eyes, and when he looked, he had his finger where it said chapter 11. All right, think about it. You'll get it. Not going to understand much of the Bible doing it that way. Not going to understand much of the Bible doing it that way. Have you ever been in a group Bible study where a verse would be read and then you go around the group and say, what does that mean to you? And, and everybody in the group has a different idea of what the scripture means. And they all state it. And then at the end of it, you know, the conclusion is, the Bible really is a rich resource because it can mean all these different things to all these different people. And we think that's good. I heard about one group one time that was reading the story of the Good Samaritan. And they came to this verse. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. The group leader stopped and he said to the person next to him, what does that mean to you? And the person next to him said, it means don't go through life alone. And he goes to the next person and says, what does that mean to you? And he says, it means never go down. Always try to go higher. Always go up. Because that man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he goes to the next person. And the next person says, I believe that it means life's a dangerous journey. And, and they go to the next person. And he says, I think God wants me to quit my job. <laughs> and they just kept going around the room. And they just kept getting all of these different answers. Now, what did Jesus say that was about? That whole story of the Good Samaritan was designed to illustrate the principle and to answer the question that was asked to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so there's an objective meaning to that story, but when you, when you act like it can have multiple meanings in every verse, then you never get the message of the story. You see, the underlying assumption of that approach is that Scripture has no objective meaning. It's only what each person gives it. And if it means only what each person gives to it, then that means it really has no meaning at all. You see that? It has no objective meaning at all. It just means whatever I think it means. And so our Bible study becomes a reflection, actually, of uh, our own thing, our own ideas, our own thinking. Now, it's true that one verse can have multiple applications, but it only has one meaning. And until we understand that one meaning, we don't know how to apply it. 
and we don't know if we're applying it properly or not. Worse yet, that kind of approach is disrespectful of Scripture. How can it possibly be the God-breathed Word of God if it doesn't really say anything, if it doesn't really mean something, if it doesn't have an objective meaning? So I want to give you a few suggestions this morning for a better way of approaching Scripture, one that honors God and His Word and that will enable us to understand what we read and, and to recognize that understanding the Bible is not just for trained specialists or church officials, but it's for everybody. God expects everybody. Paul thought everybody who read Ephesians should understand, perceive his insight of the mystery of Christ. Jesus thought that everyone who heard his words should be able to understand and do them. So here's some suggestions of how we can go about doing that. First of all, you need to start by using a good translation of the Bible that is written in a language that you can understand. I've heard a lot of people object to Bible translations. Uh, during my lifetime, there have been a lot of them come out. And so I, I've heard a lot of pros and cons about all the different translations. Uh, and some people say, you know, we, we shouldn't have all those translations. We should just have one translation. But the reality is that Bible translations are a blessing because the Bible wasn't originally written in English. In fact, it wasn't originally written in Texan. <laughs> It, it was originally written in Hebrew and in Greek. And it, if nobody ever translated it, you and I couldn't understand anything unless we learned Hebrew and Greek. And trust me, that's more fun than it sounds. Okay? Uh, we would have to learn those languages in order to be able to understand anything that we read. Also, uh, various translations are geared to various reading levels. Because not everybody has the same capacity or reads in the same way. And so various translations are geared to different reading levels to make them more user-friendly, to make them more appealing to people. And then we need to understand also uh, that some of the older translations may be harder to understand unless you grew up on them because the language is so different. And the word, meaning of words changes as time goes on. Words change in meaning, and that's one reason why we keep having different translations. Are you aware that, for example, in the King James translation of the Bible, the word let means to hinder? Now think about that. You know, when I was a kid, my parents would let me use the car. Okay, that didn't mean they hindered me from using the car. They allowed me. So let would mean allow. But in King James English, let means to hinder. And so you come to a verse like Romans 1.13 where Paul wrote, Oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto. And you read that, and if you don't know that let means hinder, you don't have a clue what Paul meant to say in Romans 1 verse 13. So it's good that we have translations. Some people are accustomed to that language. They grew up on it. They lived with it, and it works perfectly for them. Others, not so. Somebody who's reached adulthood and just now starting to read the Bible, that's not for them to start with. Uh, some good translations of the English Standard Version, uh, the New International Version, and there's some others. We've got some on the table back there. If you don't have one, pick one up as you leave. And uh, consider that our gift to you. We want you to be able to have a Bible that you can read and understand. You got to start there. The second suggestion I would make is to read and study complete books of the Bible and not just isolated verses. Complete books of the Bible and not just isolated verses. 
See, what we need to remember when we pick up the Bible is that we're reading a story. We're reading a story of God who created the world. We're reading the story of God who created us. We're reading the story of how we became sinners, all of us. We're reading the story of what God has done down through the ages to bring about the salvation of sinners so that we can have fellowship with this perfect, all-holy, all-powerful God who made us so that we can live in a relationship with him and that ultimately when this life is over that we'll still have eternal life with him. It's a story. And the story is only going to make sense if you read it like any other story, which means that you read it in sequence. You read it in sequence and, and at least whole portions of it to get the flow of that story and to see where it fits in to the larger story. Now, can you imagine getting a novel by Mary Higgins Clark or, or John Grisham or uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or any novel and taking that novel and just opening it every day to a different page and at random just reading something out of it? Can you imagine doing that? How long would it take you to figure out what the story was about? Would you ever figure out what the story was about? Chances are you never would. You probably would think at some point, okay, I think I get it now. But then later you'd read something else that says, well, wait a minute, that sounds different from what I read last Thursday. So I, I'm not sure that I'm following the story correctly. And really what would come out of that is more confusion than anything else. That's the way a lot of people read the Bible. A lot of folks read the Bible, and they read it every day. But they read it simply by opening it at random and reading a verse or two and then closing it and then wonder, why don't I understand the Bible? Why can't I remember what's in there? Why am I not able to put into practice the things that I'm reading? You'll never get the story that way. So how do you begin? Let me make a suggestion to you that you can read four books in the Bible and get the flow of the story. Four books. There's 66, but you can just read four. And I'm not saying read those four and then forget about the rest. I'm saying start with those four, okay? And you get the overall story, and then you can come back and fill in the gaps. The four are Genesis and Exodus. When you read the books of Genesis and Exodus, you have read half the history covered by the Old Testament. Half the history covered in the Old Testament is in those two books, Genesis and Exodus, and they're fascinating. You'll enjoy reading them, all right? You notice I stopped at Leviticus? <laughs> A lot of times when folks set out, and they say, I'm going to read the Bible, and they, they start reading the Bible, they read Genesis, and they go, that's interesting. Exodus, that's exciting. They get to Leviticus and say, that's weird. They get to Numbers and just get lost in the Numbers and and you know, give it up. Don't do that. Those books have a place, and they have an important place, and once you understand the story, you'll understand what the place of those books is. But go back and read Genesis and Exodus. Then go over to the New Testament and pick any one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Take your pick. Read one of those to get the story of Jesus, and then go read the book of Acts to get the story of what happened after Jesus died on the cross and was rose, uh, risen from the dead and about his followers preaching the gospel and how people came to Christ then and are still coming to Christ today. You can learn all of that, four books. So just start by reading those four books 
uh, and you'll be amazed at how much better you will understand the Bible. Don't just read little snippets here and there. Read those books, and you'll begin to get the story. And then the third suggestion that I'd make is always pay attention to the context of what you read. Probably more misunderstanding of the Bible results from ignoring context than any other cause. Now, what do I mean by context? Simply put, context means how does what I'm reading fit in with the paragraph that it's in? And how does that fit in with the chapter that it's in? How does that fit in with the book I'm reading? See, that's why you need to read the whole book. You're getting the context. You're not just taking a statement or a sentence out of its context. You're looking to see what does this say? How does it fit into this entire uh, writing? Now, there's two kinds of context you need to pay attention to. One of them is called historical context. This simply means that as you read, you're asking the questions, who, what, when, where, and why? Uh, who's saying this? What did they say? To whom did they say it? Where were they when they said it? Why did they say it? So you're just asking those questions in your mind as you read, and you begin to understand more of what it is that you are reading. Let me give an example. You ever wondered why we don't sacrifice animals in worship? Now, I know you're automatically you're thinking, wait a minute, if you're going to introduce that, I'm leaving. Okay. No, we're not going to start doing that. Why do we not do that, though? The Bible teaches it, doesn't it? Leviticus. See, we skipped Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus talks about sacrificing animals. Exodus talks about it. Number, lots of books in the Bible talk about sacrificing animals. Why don't we do it? Because of historical context. Historically, the commandments to sacrifice animals in worship were given by God to the people of Israel for a specific time period. And then when Jesus came and gave his life on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, there was no longer a need for those sacrifices. The Bible says that. It tells us that clearly in the book of Hebrews, uh, that we don't need those animal sacrifices. In fact, it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So all of that was done uh, kind of leading up to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, and that's why we don't do it anymore. Instead, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid, a once-for-all sacrifice that can never be repeated. That's what the church remembers. That's our sacrifice. That's what I mean by historical context. Where does that practice, where does that teaching fit into the flow of the story of the Bible? The other kind of context is called literary context. How does this verse or this statement relate to the discussion that it's a part of? How does it relate to the words around it? How does it relate to the book in which it occurs? I attended a Bible class one evening on a, on a Wednesday night, and the guy who was teaching it was reading from Philippians chapter 2, and he came to verse 14. Philippians four, uh, 2 and verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. That's a great verse. But he stopped there and he said, do all things. Who can really do all things? And he began to talk about the impossibility of doing everything and how we needed to be satisfied with doing less and how we needed to be sure that we give ourselves a break and that we take enough rest and and, and this kind of thing. And I'm sitting there looking at Philippians 2, and I thought, that's not what Paul's talking about. <laughs> Literary context. Go back to the beginning of Philippians 2. What's he talking about? Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a man. And being found in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he's writing this to a church of people who are disgruntled with each other. And so he says in Philippians 2 and verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. See, when you put it in its literary context, it makes sense. It makes sense. Anytime you're having a hard time understanding the meaning of a verse in the Bible, read what goes before it and read what comes after it. And chances are you'll figure out what it's all about. Above all, remember that Scripture's primary function is to help you know God and do His will. The Bible is not a self-improvement manual. It's not a book on how to get rich quick. It's a guide to knowing God and being in fellowship with Him. So whether you're reading the Psalms or the Prophets or one of the historical books or one of the Gospels or one of the letters of Paul or a letter of Peter or a letter of John, ask yourself, what do I learn about God from what I have just read? What do I learn from this book? What do I learn from this paragraph? about God and what do I learn about what God wants me to do and what do I need to change in my life to be doing what God wants me to do that's what studying the Bible is all about remember this above all the Bible is not just about information it's about transformation it's about being changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and when you approach that, the Bible that way, and you read with that thought in mind, and you're desiring to know God, there's no way you're going to fail. If you're ready to start following him today, you start with obeying the message of the gospel, with declaring your faith in Jesus and repenting and being baptized into him. If you're ready to do that today, we encourage you to come. Let's stand together and sing. Years I spend in vanity and pride.